morning. Hope you've had a uh, had a good weekend so far. Um, here's some good news. Uh, congratulations are in order. You've almost survived your first sermon series with me as your pastor, and so uh, this is a little three week deal uh, where we've been talking about. Uh, we call it. We, I called it 2020 seeing clearly, but because really from the very get go of this new year and me being here, I wanted to make it plain and clear what we're about here at East. And this is not something that I'm bringing to the table. It's something that's already been here that we're running with. And so over the last, uh, the last three times that I've preached, um, we've been trying to answer the question, how do you get plugged in to what God is doing here at East? And so um, the first week, the first thing, y'all tell me, what is it? What's the first thing? Be at the gathering. Okay, man, we got to go back. Can you just play the first sermon? Let's just listen to that again. I think they missed it. No. Um, but on the first week, we talked about that our hourly worship service, I mean our weekly worship service, it is, it's a, roughly an hour, um, is ridiculously important to what we do here at East, about us being a family. If you're going to be a part of this family, you need to be here as often as you can when we gather for worship. Um, I've, I've missed family reunions before. What do you miss when you miss family reunions? You miss seeing the, the, the new babies, and you miss seeing the... Now, those are sometimes only once a year. I don't know if y'all do family reunions, but when you miss a family reunion, it affects your relationship with the rest of the family. So this weekly gathering is important for us. But it's not just to sit here and to, to bear it. We need to have at the core of our hearts each Sunday morning two prayers. God, teach us to know you. And God be with us. And we pray those every morning uh, when we get, before we gather to worship and through the week as a staff. And so if, we don't, if you don't have those two things at your heart when you come in here, we are thankful that you warm seats. Um, but that is probably all that you are doing when you come in here. If, uh, but if we get to a place where we as a church, man, all of us come into this place with those two things, then uh, we're going to see God do some awesome, awesome stuff. The second thing, be at the gathering. What's the second one? Don't put it up there yet. Be in a group. Be in a group. Good night. All right, good. All right, we're fired up now. Okay, our groups are pivotal to spiritual growth, guys. The groups that we have here, when you come to a group, you are setting yourself up to grow up in the knowledge and understanding of God's word, to grow in through relationships, meeting one another's needs, praying for one another, loving one another. And the third thing, to grow out as we invite people to be a part of what God is doing here. Now here, I got to brag on you, church. First off, like record-setting week of groups, by the way. Like 151 people in groups this week. Crazy numbers. 120, I've been told, is like, hallelujah. We, you killed it, Okay. I think Mike and Catherine are lying. I think they're I think they're counting like the mice and like spiders and stuff. I don't know. But 151 people in groups, but that's pretty awesome. But here's what I'm most excited about. Mike and Catherine have told me there are groups coordinators that 18 adults took the leap of being in a group for the very first time. Man, can you give let's give God praise for that, man. That's awesome. Because what we're about here, groups are important to what we do. And so the fact that 18 adults were willing to say, okay, and some of them have been here for years, but they were willing to take that step. If that's you, man, praise God. I'm spitting, sorry. Praise God that you were willing to take that step. God is going to bless that decision in your life to be a part of a group. He will. And I can't wait to see it, man. It's going to be good. And today we dive into point number three. You've made it. Point number three. 
be a part of the movement of God. This is going to be a fun one. So open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, we're going to study an entire chapter. And so the, the second service is just going to join us about halfway through this sermon, and we're just going to keep rolling. Um, no, it's, it's, we're not going to study every word and every phrase. and We're not going to go that deep. But what we're going to see today are that there are three key, three, oh man, my voice is not working today. Anoint my lips. Isn't that what you prayed? I'm waiting on it, man. <clears throat> They're not working today. We're going to see three key themes in this first chapter and then one verse in chapter two that fit this process of what we're trying to do here. And so we're, gonna, we're not going to study it word for word because we don't have time to do all that. And because we're covering so many verses, I'm actually just going to read the first two verses, pray, and then um, we'll come back and, and dive into it. So let's look at kind of the introduction here. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me voice a prayer. Father God, we do thank you. Um, God, that you have given us your word to study, to know uh, more about you. And God, I pray that this this morning, God, that, that you would remove all the hindrances, distractions, and uh, God, my blubberings and mess up, messed up words, God, that you would remove all those, God, so that we can see plainly and clearly your word and what you have for us today. Um, God, help us to know you more and to feel your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen. As you read along with me, just a little bit of a... As I preach, I don't like to just preach at you and tell you everything you should know. I like for us to do it together, okay? So who wrote the book? Who wrote this letter? It was in the first, first, the literal first word of the book. Okay, you got it. The Apostle Paul. That's right. Paul, an apostle. That is correct. You got it. Who was it written to? Timothy. Look at there. You guys are already participating. This is really good. This is good. I need that to keep up. So here's what you know about Timothy. Timothy was a young guy that had encountered Paul on one of his missionary journeys. And Timothy was just a young guy. And Paul took him in to be a protege, to be a disciple. Listen, Timothy was a young dude who got roped into one of the greatest church planning movements of the last 2,000 years. He got to be a fly on a wall. On the wall, he just got to tag along with Paul as he traveled the known world preaching the gospel and planting churches. Man, that would be fun. To be a young guy and to experience that, that would be a wild ride. And just so you know, this team of missionaries, they would move from city. It wasn't just Paul and, and Timothy. There was Silas. There was a whole list of him. At the end of every one of Paul's books, you're going to see a list of names of people that were traveling with him at different times. But they would move into a city. They would declare the gospel to all who would hear. And then before they moved on to the next town, they would see a church established, see a gathering of believers get together to encourage one another and oftentimes would even see elders raised up from that body to lead and shepherd that flock. This is, this is the beautiful thing. One such place that they did this was a city named Ephesus. Okay, may sound familiar from the book of Ephesians. So after Paul moved on from a city, he would often send letters. That's where the book of Ephesians comes from. It was a letter that Paul wrote back to the church at Ephesus. And so oftentimes he would uh, 
There are times that he encourages in those letters, but often he calls them to the carpet. You ever been called to the carpet? My mama called me to the carpet. She still does sometimes. But oftentimes these letters are written to deal with certain issues that were going on in the church. Um, other times, though, he would even stop in himself as he made another round on these missionary journeys. If you've got a Bible, um, like in the back of it, there may even be like Paul's missionary journeys, like a little map. If you've got your Bible, if, if you have a digital version, sorry, you're going to have to Google it. See, it's the benefit of having a hard copy right there. Uh, but there are, there are like right here, I've got, no, that's not it. Um, but yeah, I've got Paul's missionary journeys on the last one. There it is, Paul's missionary journeys. And it's got all of them, and you can see where he went and all the different cities and stuff. It's really, really cool. So as he's going through, on one of these missionary journeys, he leaves Timothy in Ephesus. And he leaves Timothy there. He's been investing in Timothy for years by this point, and he leaves Timothy there. Now, Paul clearly had a purpose in that. He wasn't tired of Timothy. Hey, why don't you stay here, buddy? We're gonna... <laughs> it wasn't about he was tired of Timothy. He knew he had invested in Timothy, and he knew the time had come for Timothy to step into a leadership role. Timothy seems to be sent to be left there to serve as a pastor. There's some clues to that in the Bible, though, Paul never says, Timothy, you are the pastor there. Um, but church history affirms that Timothy was the first overseer of the church at Ephesus. Um, and we know that these two letters, First and Second Timothy, were written to Timothy while he was in Ephesus. So he's there ministering, shepherding, leading, and Paul's writing these letters to him, now serving as a pastor in this city. And so Paul lays out a ton of things that I would love to study through like verse by verse with you guys down the road, but not today, okay? Today what we're going to see are three key statements that Paul says to Timothy that directly apply to what we're talking about today, about this movement of God. And so the first one is found in verse 6. Look with me at verse 6, or I'm going to start in verse 5. Um, Paul says, I rec recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Sorry, I didn't qu I quit reading. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. The first thing I want you to see is that God wants us to use your gifts. God wants all of us. If you've called on the name of the Lord to be saved, God wants you to use your gifts. Paul knew Timothy's family and knew that he had been invested in spiritually. He knew that. But notice as a side note, this has nothing to do with number one. This is just a freebie, okay? The faith of his mother and grandmother could not save him. Some of you guys have had awesome mothers and grandmothers, I'm sure, maybe fathers, grandfathers, who have invested in you and poured into you. Listen, what does Paul say? that the faith of your grandmother and mother now is in you. You've got to own your faith. And Paul recognized that, that, uh, that Timothy had been saved. He says, that same sincere faith that I saw in, in your family members is now in you. And then comes an all-important word at the beginning of verse 6, therefore. Now, all my English nerds in the room will be happy with this, but... Anytime you see words like therefore, because of, so that, anything like that, you need to take notice. We can't read our Bibles 
without thinking, okay? God wants us to think as we read his words. And these words are conjunctions. I like to call them connecting words because they connect blocks of text. So anytime you see the word therefore, what the author is saying is because of what you just read, because this is true, now this, okay? And so this is what's going on. Paul's just talked about how, man, I see faith. I know, I know, that, uh, I know that you're saved. I know that God has done a work in you. Therefore, I remind you, rekindle the gift of God that is in you. Paul knew that God had done a work in Timothy. There was no question in Paul's mind about whether Timothy was a Christian. When we surrender to Christ... This is what you need to know. God gives us a part of himself. Gives us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, he also imparts spiritual gifts. Again, Paul spends a lot of time in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, fleshing out more of a full theology of spiritual gifts. And I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, okay? Just in case you're not familiar with that. But when we surrender to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes on us and imparts spiritual gifts. These are unique giftings that God gives us, every single Christian, for the building up of the church and the furtherance of the gospel to the ends of the earth. They are distributed to all who believe. So Paul doesn't speak exactly of what Tim... If you've ever been around somebody like in the church and you're good friends, like you can call out in them what you see in them. Like you can, you can recognize how God's using them. Paul clearly knew after spending years with Timothy, Paul knew what Timothy's spiritual gift was. Like he knew that. And he had probably said, Timothy, here it is, man. Here's how God's gifted you to serve in the church. And he had called that out in him and used that. Now, twice in, in these two letters, Paul references the gift or your gift, but never tells us what it is but it's okay. We don't have to know. The point is, Paul and Timothy knew together how God had gifted Timothy. They knew that there was a gift there. They knew that God had uniquely gifted Timothy to serve God in the church and in the world. But Paul gives him a challenge. He says, rekindle your gift. Rekindle your gift, right? Now, when when I read that... um, it can sound as if, like, Paul's worried that Timothy's turning away from God, right? When we think, I think of rekindling something, I think of something that's almost completely died out and that you're having to bring back to life. That's not the word, that's not what we're talking about. There's no reason for us to believe that Timothy is, uh, is struggling and thinking about turning his, his uh, about living in disobedience or anything like that. The Greek term that Paul uses is uh, in the present tense, and it has this ongoing, continuous vibe to it, okay? It's this idea of a continual rekindling. See, as if the the gifts of God that are given to you, they're not full-blown all the time. Like, I don't preach like this at home, okay? And when God saved me at seven years old, he gave me the gift of pastor and teacher, but praise God, I was not like that at seven. Like I would not have survived to 33 today, okay? <laughs> Somebody would have shot me a long time ago. But God gives us the gift. It's a spark, right? And then it grows over time. But we have to oftentimes put in effort. 
It's why somebody who, who at one point is fiery and awesome and God's using them in the church and because of sin in their life or whatever, now you see them as an ineffective pew sitter, right? God didn't take the gift away. We haven't rekindled it. How do you rekindle it? You use it. You use the gift that God has given you. The idea here is a campfire, okay? How do you start a fire? Well, you need a source, okay? You don't just snap your fingers, you have to have a source, right? And maybe it's flint and rocks or two sticks and you're going to boy scout that thing into flame. I use matches and lighters, okay? Amen? All right, here's the deal. We don't have to muster up our spiritual gift. It's already in you. It's given to you. It's like a match, okay? Match. God gives us a match. That would have been a good idea to bring a match. I'm just realizing that now. It would have been a good visual, wouldn't it? Man. All right. Anyway, a match, okay? Um, now, but here's the deal. You can't just hold a match under a huge log and catch it on fire, right? This is a perfect analogy of how spiritual gifts, how I've seen them work in my life. What do you do first? You, you need some kindling. You need some small, thin, dry strips of wood or leaves, Make lots of smoke, you know. But we need, we, need, we need something smaller with a lot more surface area that we can burn quicker and get the fire going, right? To me, when I was a kid, that, that was, that was uh, God gave me the gift of pastor-teacher, I believe, when I was seven years old, when I was saved. And, but the, the kindling for me was um, the first time I spoke up in a class. You know what I mean? Like when a teacher asked a question and I thought, I think I've got a good answer for that. And I spoke up, and then you look around at the room and see if you totally bombed it. You know, that's that's just a that's a little bit of a, a a fire, right? And I began to get opportunities to speak. Um, like my youth pastor would let me speak for maybe ten minutes before he got up and preached and fixed all my mistakes, right? But he would ask me to do that. That's a little bit of fire. That that the spark is already there. The the match is there. It's not going to go out. But it's my responsibility to pour into, ask God to grow this gift within me and sharpen it, right? And then what do you do after you've got a little fire going? What do you do? And for you, well, let, me, let me tie this for you. This may be just. Stepping out, little things. I'm talking about teaching, but this may be, uh, man, just stepping into a role, volunteer rotation deal, um, stepping in and trying something here at East and figuring out if that's maybe how you're gifted. But the fire at this point is still not hot enough to throw a log on. It's going to squash it and it will never burn. So you start using bigger twigs and branches. This is the second level where you begin to take on consistent ministry. You're not just stepping in and, and serving every once in a while at a big event. Like you're on a rotation. You're consistently serving God, whether it's week in or week out or monthly or something like that. But you're stepping into um, on a rotation and you're learning more about how God has wired you to impact the kingdom. For me, that's what it was. My youth pastor began to let me teach every six weeks on a Wednesday night. That was that for me, man. The fire, it's growing a little bit. I'm feeling it. Are you feeling the warmth? No, it's cold outside. Bad analogy. But then what do you do? Then you introduce the logs, right? Then you begin to introduce the logs. The fire is large enough now, really thick branches and logs. This is where we get that consistent, steady burn. This is where you totally embrace your gift. You've discovered it. You're fired up. 
You've been sharpening it. You've been asking God to grow it in you. And when your gift is burning like this, people see it in you. And they probably call it out. And at this point, Miss May has probably asked you to be like a key leader in something. You know, she's asked you to head up something. Because people can see the gift of God beginning to burn in you. It's not that you're something special. It's that God is doing something special in you. Now listen, if you don't know what your match is, if you don't know, um, we want to help with that. There's some online like spiritual gift assessments and things like that that you can take, and those can be helpful, but here's the best way I've discovered for you to discover how God's wired you. Study Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians 4. And there's one more that slipped in my mind. I didn't write it down. But study what God's word says about spiritual gifts, and then just start serving. (laughs) Just start serving somewhere here. And watch as God calls to your mind one of the spiritual gifts that you see laid out in Scripture. Listen, here at East, we want to see every person who calls this church home serving in some capacity. And I'm not saying today, okay? I'm not saying it's got to happen today. But we want you to serve. Here's what I've always said. I'm going to continue to say it here at East. We want you to serve where your gifts intersect your passions. For me, I know teaching is something that uh, people have told me that God has called out in me. But I don't do kids' ministry. Okay? I could. I'm gifted for it. But I ain't passionate about it. All right? And so there is such a thing as, as, as the passions and the desires that you have. And so, yeah, I can teach every week in a kids' ministry building, but I'm going to burn out even though it's how God's gifted me because I'm not passionate about it. So we want, to, we want you to serve where your gifts intersect your passion. Begin praying now for God to reveal those things to you. And listen, if you want to have a conversation about it, we as a staff want to have that conversation with you. In the back of the seat in front of you is those, those visitor cards, right? Those aren't visitor cards. Those are everything cards. We use those things for everything. And so today, if you would like to have a conversation about what gifts you may have and how you can begin to serve, uh, fill out that card. Just give us like a name, email, phone number. And on the back, on the prayer request section, just write gift convo or conversation, okay? Just to let us know. You can do that right now. You can do that. Um, because someone will call you and we'll set up a time to discuss that and figure out how you can serve here. The only way you can rekindle your gift is to use it. If you know that God has gifted you, feed the flame, right? Keep throwing wood to it, baby. Serve. Put yourself in a place to use your gifts. Now, second thing that we see in First Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 1. Number two, share your story. Okay, so use your gifts. Number two, share your story. After Paul discusses the gift, he says this in verse 8. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our, G- our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. 
There are 14 sermons in that, and I'm giving it a third, okay? Um, So bear with me. But Paul is reminding Timothy that God is sovereignly weaving a story together in the heart and life of every believer. Do you believe that? God God is weaving a story together in your life. During this period of time, there was great persecution against the church, okay? Um, Inevitably, Every every Christian at this point, their story involves severe persecution and hardships and difficulties and stuff going on. And even in the midst of all this, Paul is literally, he wrote this letter from prison, scholars tell us. He's in prison writing this letter. And what does he say? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Man, that's bold. If you read Paul's letters, you'll see that he liked to share his story with other people. In fact, if you're interested, um, Acts chapter 22 and Acts 26, Paul actually in two different places shares his story about how God has changed his life and what God is continuing to do in his life with large groups of people. Um, And so Paul had modeled this well, but he wants to challenge Timothy to share the story of God's faithfulness with others as he ministered in Ephesus. And this is one of those points where I might make somebody mad. But y'all bear with me, okay? Paul uses a term that gets translated in their testimony, okay? That's a tough word for me. I grew up in youth ministry in the 90s and early 2000s. That was a weird time for youth ministry. I'll be I'll be honest. That was a weird time for youth ministry. It was it was the big conference, the retreats, the camps. We had fourteen things that we went to through the year, and inevitably, at every summer camp we went to, there was somebody who was going to stand on stage and give their testimony. And this testimony was always really intense. Um, They did crazy illegal things right before coming to Christ. Um, They killed people or whatever. They wound up in prison alone, abandoned. They thought about killing themselves until they tripped one day in the cafeteria, landed on a Gideon Bible that was open to John 3.16, right? I mean, that's, that's that's what a testimony is to me. And I remember growing up going, that's not my story. I was saved at seven and... I'm not saying I've walked super close with God all the time, but I mean, relatively close. That ain't my story. And so this word testimony, if that's you, if you think, man, I don't have a good testimony, or I don't, if you would ever say the term good testimony, then don't think of this word as testimony, okay? Because a testimony is not about us. A testimony is not that I heard tons of these things, and they're awesome. I'm not, I'm not belittling that story. That's an awesome story, but it's not me. So if the word testimony makes you think of that, then know that this word can also be translated witness, okay? So like a witness in a court, right? What does a witness do? A witness gives an account of the actions of another. Do you see that? A witness gives gives an account of the actions of another. That's the word testimony. It's, it's a testimony that a witness would give. It's a witness statement. So that's what's going on here, giving the account of the actions of another. Another issue that often is that these stories are so self-focused, right? Most people in their testimony, they say I and me more than they say God, Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. That's not good. Our story, what does Paul say? The testimony about you, the testimony about 
What? No. The testimony about our Lord. Your story is not mainly about you. It's about God working in you and through you. How has God done a work in your life? And that's why I say share your story. We all have stories of how God has moved in our lives to bring us to salvation, to protect us from difficulty, to give clarity to life and ministry, to grow us by leaps and bounds at times and other times just in tiny little steps. The list could go on and on. And so I'm not here to argue with you about what a testimony is. I'm simply here to ask you, are you sharing your story? Because your story looks different from mine, but are you sharing it with the people that you encounter? That's the question. Because if you're not, Paul's connection here is that that comes across as you're ashamed. None of us would say we're ashamed of God or we're ashamed of Jesus. We would never write that down or wear a T-shirt. We're Christians, a lot of us. We're not ashamed of Jesus, but are you sharing what Jesus has done in your life? If so, if not, that's the connection here. Now, we can all be guilty of it at times, but my, my, my challenge to you today, if you want to connect with or you want to you be a part of the movement of God, you need to use your gifts and you need to share your story with people. And the third thing is make disciples. Use your gifts gifts, share your story, and make disciples. Paul had clearly invested in Timothy. Look at verses 13 and 14. Verse 13. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul had taught Timothy a ton but Paul didn't intend on it stopping with him. Look at at chapter 2, verse 2. So 13 and 14 go, and then there's a little aside here where Paul's mentioning people by name, but then he picks up in chapter 2 with the same story, a continuation of what he's saying. He says, what you have heard from me, that pattern of sound teaching and that good deposit, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Listen, though Paul had taught Timothy a ton, the process wasn't over until it had reproduced. Kelly and I dated for a long time. We dated all the way through high school and through four years of college. Seven years. I don't know what I was thinking. I was talking to I was talking to May and Ran and the Parvins back there, and the, they were married at like 19 years old. And, you know, Miss Lisa had a sister who was married before she even finished high school. Man, if I could go back, man, just let's just put a ring on it. Let's get married and let's figure this thing out. Um, but I thought I had to have everything. I thought the, all these things had to line up anyway. That's behind. But as the years were ticking by, um, as of dating, people would ask, "When y'all gonna get married?" Right. That comes up, doesn't it? And so, you know, we did, we did. We got married, 2009. And then the moment you get married, the question changes. What's the question? When y'all going to have kids? And I thought, listen, I'm dumb. I thought, dude, if we can pull that off, like if we can pull off one kid, which is a miracle in itself, right? If we can pull it off. We will never get asked another question ever. 
Listen, Elsie, Kelly was pregnant with Elsie Joe. And somebody and people started asking, Y'all gonna have more? How many more y'all gonna have? I don't know, dude. We don't even know what it looks like to be a parent. Right? And my parents were one of the worst ones, right? They still every time. So y'all think y'all are done with two? You know? Why? Because they want grandbabies, right? Everybody wants grandbabies. Could not listen. So did Paul. You hear me? So did Paul. That's what's going on. What did Paul call Timothy in verse one or two? Son. Paul knew that he was a spiritual father to Timothy, and he just wanted grandbabies. That's all he wanted. Spiritual grandbabies, right? That's what's going on. I got off my notes on that. All right. So Paul, what Paul's telling them is get out there and make some children for yourself. Don't let my teaching die with you. That's what Paul says. But Paul goes a step further, which I've never heard my parents say this. This is weird. My parents have never said, hey, have children who will have children. My, my, my mom's never said that. That's what, Hey, I want to be a great grandmother. That's what Paul says here. Paul says, hey, I'm not content being a great a granddaddy. Man, I want to be a great granddaddy. I want to be a great granddaddy. Notice the four generations. Paul, first generation, taught Timothy, and he tells him to commit these truths to third generation faithful men who will do what? Teach others also. Four generations. Paul says, man, don't let this die. Create in your ministry, Timothy, a, a, uh, a focus on reproduction. Paul was all about spiritual procreation. Amen. It's a weird term. It was weird when I wrote it, and it was even weird coming out of my mouth. But this is what we've got to be about here at East. We've got to be about it. We've got to, because we want to see disciples made here who will go and make other disciples and go and make other disciples. So hopefully your heart is stirred by this, and you may be asking, well, how do I do that? Everybody talks about discipleship. I make disciples. What does it look like? And again, I, I, I don't know how everybody will feel about this definition, but it's what God's laid on my heart over the years of doing ministry, and I've adopted this for my ministry, and, and I want to use it here as well. Um, there was a time in ministry where we didn't talk about discipleship. We thought discipleship was a class, right? That's not good. We realized, we looked back at a time when I was growing up, and we realized that we weren't necessarily making disciples. We were having good attendance. And there was no way to, not that discipleship wasn't happening, but it wasn't just happening because we had a discipleship class, right? And so now what we've done, because we weren't doing anything, now what we've got is organizations and leaders who are setting this bar that this is what discipleship is. It's this one-on-one -on -one thing where you're meeting for coffee every three days and you're doing, going through the. Every organization has their own program for what discipleship is. And so we've gone from no definition to a really, really strict, firm, fixed definition. And I don't think that's healthy either. So this is discipleship to me, intentionally helping another person take steps towards Christ. Is that not what discipleship is? I mean, that's it, in a nutshell. Helping another person, intentionally helping another person take steps towards Christ. That's it. Discipleship is helping someone get in the right place so that God can grow them. 
And this is something that we're going to talk about a lot more in the coming days as a staff and leadership meetings and really begin to flesh out what does it look like here at East. But I just wanted to give you guys the definition today to know what we're working on and what we're thinking about. But I want to give you some questions. If you're interested in discipling someone else, you say, man, I, I, maybe, maybe you are using your gifts and sharing your story and this third piece, maybe that's something you want to get into. I got three questions for you, and you can write these down. Who will I invest in? That's the first question. Who is it that God has already placed in your life that you can invest in? This may be kids, man. This week I made a greater commitment. Uh, there's some things that I've been neglecting in my children's discipleship. And so this week we started we started a new piece of parenting at home. Um, it's important for us to do that. But it's it, it goes beyond that. Somebody, who are you going to invest in? Second question, where are they in their journey? Before you can get them to where they're going, you've got to find out where they are, right? You've got to turn their GPS tracker on, their locator, find out where they are. Are they a Christian? If they are, are they following God? Are they struggling? Where are they on their journey? And then the third one is simply what steps can I help them take? You're not going to be able to move somebody uh, from, a, from not a Christian to a church planner. That's not going to happen. But what are two or three steps that you as a discipler can invest in them and help them take that step? Again, this is something we're going to talk about more in the future, but I just wanted to lay it out before you today um, just to know uh, where we're going. Second Timothy chapter 1 kicks off in a great way by clarifying three ways that Timi- Timothy could be a part of the movement of God. And those same three ways are applicable to us in the 21st century in North Alabama. Use your gifts, share your story, make disciples. So let me ask you, what part are you playing in the movement of God? Are you playing a part in the movement of God? Are you doing any or all of these things? If not, let me challenge you. Commit to take one step today. Just one step. Don't say, I'm going to do all three this week. I'm gonna... No, stop it. No, you're not. No, you're not. Take one step. Commit to that today. If you aren't serving in the church with passion, let us help you discover your gift. And then go see Miss May, and she'll put you to work. We want every person serving in the church. If you're keeping the story of God's faithfulness in your life to yourself, stop it. Share your story this week. Commit to that. Find somebody at work or somebody in your family or even if you just wanted to start with uh, your best friend who already is a Christian, but just talk about God's faithfulness in your life. Do that. And if you're not investing in the lives of other people on a regular basis with the key word intentionality, you can start making disciples this week. Go through those three questions I gave you earlier and God will start using you. We must be willing to take these sometimes difficult next steps because this is what we have been saved to do. Not to gather here, not to be in a group. Those are part, but the main reason that God leaves us here is to be a part of the movement of God. We'll worship in heaven and we'll fellowship in heaven where there will be no call for evangelism in heaven. It's the only thing that's not eternal. <laughs> We've got to be about the movement of God here on earth. If you'll make these steps, man, I promise you, um, 
God will do something great. But for some of you today, it's probably not a next step. It may be a first step towards Christ. If you've never trusted fully in who Jesus is and what he did for you on the cross um, and surrendered your life to him, you can today. Um, Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you and I were supposed to live but couldn't. And then he, lived, he died the painful death of separation from God that you and I were supposed to die, but he did it for us. All because he loves you. During this event, we're going to sing one more song. We're going to worship. Um, I'm going to be down front. If you'd like to talk with me about any decision that you'd like to make today, that's that first step decision especially, uh, I promise you it'll change your life. Um, I'll be down front. And over the last few weeks, you've heard what it looks like to be a part of East. And maybe you're not a part of East officially. You're not a member. Um, we'd love to talk with you about what membership looks like too. If you'd like to come forward, hey, I've laid it out. Be at the gathering, be in a group, be a part of the movement of God. We'll never ask you to do anything else except come to Taco Trivia, <laughs> which is at the gathering. But anyway, those are the three things that we ask of our people, and that's what we want you to do. So if, if you say, hey, man, we're going to keep things simple here. i got no desire to change anything up. We're going to keep things simple here at East. And so I'd love to talk with you about that as well. So uh, uh, worship team, you guys come on up. Um, I'm going to pray, and as soon as I finish praying, we're all going to stand to our feet. And if you'd like to come and pray at the altar and commit to God today to take one of these steps, or if you need to talk to me, I'm available, okay? I'm going to pray, and then we'll stand and sing. Father, we love you, and God, we are trusting, um, God, that everything that you have promised us in your word is true. And God, that if, uh, if we'll take these steps, God, if we'll be obedient to be a part of the movement of God, that even uh, though we make boneheaded decisions and mess up a ton, God, that you'll still use us to reach people and to make disciples. Father, that is a humbling thing, but God, it's what you've called us to. And God, our prayer is that we would do that, continue to do that as a church, um, as individuals and as a whole body here at East. Father, we love you and we thank you for what you do. Bless this time of response. In Jesus' name.